Well, good morning. Thank you so much, worship team, for drawing us near to the throne of God. Uh, my name is Micah Wright. I'm the pastor at Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church, literally half a mile down the street. I'm not sure whose idea it was to put two United Methodist churches like that close to one another. Apparently it was a good idea at some point, but these might just be the two closest United Methodist churches in the world. And how wonderful that uh, myself and my wife Kristen get to serve the two. Uh, it is a joy to be here at Ashland Place and uh, worshiping with you all in the Ascension service. Uh, as we come into the space and we start thinking about what it means to be neighboring, I just need to let you know about how awesome it is that we are neighboring churches. Uh, and also that Kristen and I get to be neighboring neighbors in neighboring churches together like this. You see, this whole Art of Neighboring series, this was her idea. Uh, people keep trying to say, this is a great idea that you both had. No, it was entirely Kristen's idea. Uh, <laughs> I, have to, I have to give her credit. Uh, she's far more intelligent than I am. But I also need to let you know how lucky you are to have the pastors that, that you both have. Uh, first off, I couldn't say enough about uh, Sterling. He's just, I mean, an incredible friend, first of all. I also don't know that I have met a person who is as intentional at decision-making as somebody like Sterling. Like, it really, really takes into consideration so many different aspects when he's making a decision. Uh, there are also very few pastors who are as compassionate as he is. And, and just to give you a, an idea of this, there are not many senior pastors that let their associate preach. There really aren't. They, I mean, it's typically senior pastors, like, I'm going to be doing it all the time. You know, you can have, like, chapel services or, or special holidays when I want to be out of town. Uh, so the fact that Kristen gets to, to preach as much as she does, that's all due to the compassionate heart that Sterling has. Uh, and to go even further than that, there aren't many senior pastors who have an associate pastor preaching who would let a guest pastor come in and preach while he's still here. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. Y'all have a great pastor here. And then I could, I could obviously go on and on about Kristen, uh, but I might be a little bit biased there. But, but she's, she's the one who came up with this entire idea of the art of neighboring. She had this notion that, hey, you know, this is, this is something that's a pretty big deal, something that's kind of lacking in our community, this, this notion uh, that, that we, our society, is structured in neighboring ways in a society where we have people who live right next to us, where we have churches that are right down the street from us that we just don't interact with enough. And, and I think part of the reason for that is that, is that we, even as neighboring churches or neighbors in neighborhoods, we have our own awkward barriers to being neighbors. We, we both worship on Sunday mornings, Ashland Place and Sprinkle Avenue, we both occupy the same worship time, as most churches do. So, you know, there's obviously that one kind of awkward thing. You don't really get the time, if you will, to cross over. Additionally, we have our own programming. We all do our own stuff. We exist pretty independently of one another. We don't really feel like we need one another. Uh, and that might be a little bit harsh to say, but be, I'm a pretty brutally honest person whenever I'm in preaching mode. Catch me any, any other time and I'll uh, feign innocence. But as churches, we feel like we don't really need each other. We've got our own thing going. And really, there might even be this sense in some people just going to say, be brutally honest, that, that if the other church closed down, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because, hey, more people for us to poach, right? <laughs> I mean, but so, so we have these, these awkward barriers ourselves that, that we have to contend with. 
Uh, and we have to acknowledge that even as neighboring churches, there's a reason why you've chosen to come to Ashland Place, right? Not only is Spring Hill Avenue half a mile away, Dolphin Way isn't that far uh, from here. We're, we're all within like the same you know, two-ish mile radius. There's a reason you've chosen to come here. There's a reason the people at Dolphin Way are at Dolphin Way. There's a, people, there's a reason why the people at Spring Hill Avenue are at Spring Hill Avenue. And we allow these things to become these awkward barriers because all of a sudden they feel kind of awkward to talk about. They feel kind of awkward to be honest about. But something that Jesus calls us to is to confront awkward barriers. And if Jesus doesn't say it as brutally honest as I'm going to, he very actively proves it in our gospel text this morning. Our gospel lessons coming from the gospel according to John, which is my least favorite gospel. Uh, that's another reason why y'all are very lucky. Both Kristen and Sterling love the gospel of John. I think it's terrible. I don't actually think it's terrible. I just don't love the gospel of John. We can talk about that some other time. But we're looking at the gospel according to John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 18, then 25 through 30, and 39 through 40. This is just for timing's sake, because it's a very long chunk of passage. But if you want to really dive into this, I invite you to read through the entire chapter 4. And if you really want to understand what's going on here, I invite you to read the entire Bible. Maybe that's a tall order, but it really, it really utilizes that entire thing. So hear, hear now the word of the Lord. So he, being Jesus, came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you... A Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well? And with his sons and his flock drank from it. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. 
Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Let us go to the Lord together in prayer. Holy and loving God, we come before you during this time asking that you would turn our hearts toward you, that you would draw us into your presence, and that as we draw nearer to you, we might come to understand better the depth of your love and the breadth of your grace. In this time, may our hearts be devoted to you and the calling which you have placed on the lives of each and every one of us to be neighbors, good neighbors, holy neighbors to one another, to our very neighbors. As we enter into this time, we ask that the words of my mouth be your words and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I've got to start a timer. Um, Another reason why you're really fortunate to have Kristen is uh, I'm very (laughs) long-winded. I can go, I mean, once I get into a sermon, I can go for a long time, so I've got to start a timer so I don't run over, and if if I start going long, somebody just wave, wave their hand, I'll, I'll get the idea. So we, we have this text here, and I want to take a moment and connect it to what we talked about last week. Anybody remember what we talked about last week? We talked about the same thing in both churches, by the way. I'm a very interactive preacher, by the way. So, <laughs> who remembers? Yes, knowing our neighbors. Yes, I saw a little neighbor night card flash up. Yeah, uh, yes. Knowing our neighbors, loving our neighbors, being actual neighbors to our neighbors. In other words, what if Jesus literally meant what he said when he said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that, if Jesus actually meant that, those very words right there, love your literal neighbor as yourself. Profound, right? It should be pretty easy, though. It's kind of ingrained in our human nature. And, and this being connected into the greatest commandment should be a bell ringing off in our head that says, we need to do this. The church is obsessed with rules, people. I mean, like, actually obsessed with rules. I can't tell you how many churches you walk into and they say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and sometimes do this. The church is obsessed with rules. But we get it all wrong. We get obsessed with rules, and that's not really what Jesus is concerned about. But if there is one rule we're going to be obsessed about, it needs to be the greatest commandment. And, and while it may sound like there are two greatest commandments here, it's, it's, a, it's a linked commandment. The first is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like it. Not, not that the second is, is second to it, but the second is the same as. In other words, they mean the exact same thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's about love. And, and so as we start considering what it means to love our neighbor as ourself, I want us to think for just a moment that Jesus might actually have meant what he said. Crazy, right? And so we have, oh, I didn't bring it up here with me, in your, in your bulletin you have uh, a little block map in there, right? And we t- uh, talked about this block map last week. And this is just a little exercise that we hope that you will continue to do uh, uh, throughout this Art of Neighboring series and I don't know, take it with you for the rest of your life. Anytime you move, do this block map over again. 
No, please don't ask us to do that. This is a one-time thing. No, no, this is a lifelong practice, right? So we started talking about this block map, and I hope that you all have uh, started to uncover more things about your neighbor, if at the very least learning their name. Y'all, there, there are still people on our street, even after we've started this exercise, we don't know their names yet. Uh, we're working on it. Uh, this, fortunately, you've got time. Uh, but knowing their names, knowing something surface level about them, and then knowing something a little bit deeper about them, I hope that you will continue to take this block map practice with you. Continue to fill it out, continue to find out as much as you can about the people that surround you for the majority of your life. Yes, the majority of your life. Uh, On average, people spend about 10 to 12 hours at their house every day. That's a majority of your life that you're spending in this one location here, and there are people immediately around you that you can connect with. It's so easy, but we make it so complicated because of all of these barriers. When Kristen and I first started filling out the block map, we found there was only one square we could actually fully cover, and I think she might have talked about this last week. Uh, and it, It's a, a family that lives almost directly across the street from us, the Spiveys, and, and they're just uh, absolutely wonderful people. They moved in just a little bit before we moved into the parsonage there, and, uh, and, but we kind of didn't have any, int- any intent to get to know our neighbors at the time. But we met them kind of the hard way. Uh, Kristen was out for a walk listening to a podcast, and all of a sudden, a very large, very gruesome-looking dog jumps a fence and starts chasing her down. (laughs) Don't worry, she's telling the same story over there, so I feel like I can uh, speak to her story a little bit here. Uh, This gruesome-looking dog starts chasing her down, and she just had, like, I mean, within weeks, another encounter with a dog that tried to eat our dog and her at the same time. It was, it was a pretty freaky encounter. So a little bit of PTSD going on here in this moment, and she's panicking. At the same time, uh, one of our neighbors uh, uh, runs out of their house and starts yelling, Cam, no, Cam, no, don't do that, uh, trying to chase their dog down. Turns out this dog is like the sweetest dog in the entire world, just is really physical and loving, like really wants to be on top of you and licking your face and everything. Uh, but this started, sparked a conversation where we found out that, um, that the mother-wife figure over there, uh, Morgan, she uh, is, was doing the exact same master's and counseling program that I was doing. She was doing it at a different college, but, uh, but we were doing the same program. She was a little bit ahead of me, but we found that out, and that was pretty cool. We're like, oh, connections. I uh, also found out that they were really involved in the church, and in fact, her husband, Matt, the father figure over there, he is a uh, deacon in, a, in the church that they go to, which was really cool. They're really involved in it. And then we found out that their middle son, his name is Micah. Like, oh, wow. They like, have all these connections. And all of a sudden, we started uh, developing this beautiful friendship. But y'all, it wouldn't have happened if a dog wouldn't have jumped the fence. That very fence that was supposed to be a barrier to us being neighbors. Fortunately, dogs understand that barriers are dumb. And that dog jumped the fence and came running toward Kristen, and it sparked up this beautiful friendship. And at least now we have one square of that block map filled in. There are millions of barriers that we put between ourselves and our neighbors for really no reason at all other than, I guess the best I could say is our comfort zone which is laughable because when on earth has Jesus ever called us to be comfortable people? Anybody can quote that scripture? 
Yeah, it doesn't happen. It doesn't show up. But our comfort zone, that's what we prioritize. So, so we, we want, to take, want to take a look now at our gospel text and dive into this a little bit deeper at how Jesus intentionally moves beyond comfort zones. Okay, So Jesus has to go through Samaria to get back to Galilee. They, I don't know why they couldn't go around, whatever. They, they're going through Samaria and Jesus gets pretty exhausted because he's fully human and fully God, but the whole fully human part takes over for a little bit, and he sits down beside a well, and he's thirsty, and the disciples go into town. I don't know why it takes 12 of them to go get a bite to eat, but they all go into town, and Jesus is left there at the well. And the Samaritan woman comes up, and I can imagine this was already pretty awkward for her as she's walking up, and she sees this man sitting beside the well, and she's like, Oh no, and she gets a little bit closer and she sees that he's a Jew and she's thinking, this is about to be really bad for me and I don't even have, like, I don't even have anybody to help me out here, protect me, I'm carrying this bucket on my own. It's already an awkward situation developing, but she gets to the well. And this is, this is kind of a really beautiful location for this to happen because the well is meant to be a gathering place for the community. The well is the place where the community gathers together for the exact same need, for the exact same purpose. This is one moment where each person in the, in the community is humbled down to the exact same human status of, I need water, and this well is the only place to get it. And so we have this communal meeting place that Jesus and this Samaritan woman gather together. And even there... There are some really unnecessary barriers that still exist. And so you know what Jesus does in a very Jesus-like fashion? He starts pushing them down, flipping them over. It's like, like, imagine like the flipping, flipping over table scene that Jesus does. This is the same thing I'm thinking about with Jesus pushing down barriers here. And he does so on far too many levels. Anybody else would be horribly uncomfortable. I can't imagine why this woman stuck around as long as she did. But the very first barrier that Jesus breaks down is he goes into Samaria. Sure, it wasn't uncommon for people to cross through Samaria, but he stops there. Samaria, not a good place if you're a Jew. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. If you want to know a little bit more about why, go back and read the Old Testament. Yes, the entire Old Testament. It will help. And and so... Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along. We're going to cover this next week with the Good Samaritan as well, but it's just, it's just not a good picture. So already we have this uncomfortable line that's going on here. And Jesus starts talking to a Samaritan. That's insane. You even hear in, in her voice say, how is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? That doesn't happen. You can't do that. Don't you understand social cues? Haven't you been brought up as a good Jew? Stop talking to me. Like This is, this is already a, a very clear line that you're crossing. Jesus says, I don't care. I'm here for you. So he's talking, enters into Samaria, starts talking to a Samaritan, starts talking to a woman from Samaria. Anybody catch her name? She doesn't have a name in the text uh, because women are insignificant uh, by and large in Scripture. Oh, it wasn't up until, what, maybe 50 years ago that women gained any significance. Oh, wait, they're still fighting for significance. Very good. Jesus is already breaking through the glass ceiling here and is saying, you know what, I'm going to rise you up to status for just a minute. I'm going to talk to you. 
And we're going to have this conversation. And, and I mean, this, 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 this breaks all kinds of social barriers. If you've ever been to Israel before, uh, if, you, if you haven't, I strongly recommend you go. But if you have, you probably went to the Wailing Wall, which is uh, at the location of the, the old temple. And good Jews separate by gender. The men are on one side, and it's a much nicer, bigger side, the wall. And the women go to the other side, and it's a little bit smaller and a little bit dingier, but you, they stay separated. Women and men don't intermingle because it just gets weird if they do, right? Teach the same things on youth trips and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. so, so he's talking to a woman from Samaria, in Samaria, and he asks her for a favor. He asks her for a favor. He puts her in a position of power. He says, you have something that I do not. And you can obtain it when I cannot. He asks her for a drink of water. And she is confused by this statement. I mean, he could have asked her, said, give me your bucket. That's my bucket now. Okay, here's your bucket. No, he, he puts her in a position of power and says, you have something that I do not. We're going to keep breaking down these barriers. And then it gets even more dramatic. I mean, seriously dramatic. Because why? He claims, he says to her right there, in broad daylight at the well, I am the Messiah, the one whom you have been looking for. He just revealed the Messiah to a non-Jew. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus the Messiah is for the Jews. But no, Jesus breaks down another barrier and says, no, the Messiah, the Christ, is for all. For all of humanity. Jesus breaking down barriers. And then it gets real awkward. He gets personal with her life story. If you want to know how awkward this actually is to get personal with, a life sto- with someone's life story, go in your block map and go ahead and jump down to letter C. Go, to, go up to one of your neighbors and just jump down to letter C there and just, just start having a conversation about something really deep and personal, okay? Because that's where Jesus is at right here with, with this Samaritan woman. He gets real personal with her. And then the disciples show up. And even they are confused. Why on earth is he talking with a Samaritan woman? Where on earth is this conversation going? But, but they, they withhold their comments. You get in the parentheses, they don't say, which means they were thinking about it, but they don't say. And so, once again, another barrier is broken down between Jesus and the Samaritan woman and the disciples, saying this is a perfectly okay situation to be happening here. And then, and then, because of all of these broken barriers, the Samaritan woman goes back to her village, which, by the way, she's probably not the most beloved person in this town. I don't know if you've caught her backstory, but most people don't, aren't like super thrilled with a person who has this kind of backstory in this day and age. But she goes back to her town, and she starts telling people, come and see. And they do. And many people believed in him because of her testimony, and they welcome Jesus and his disciples to stay with them in their town, in a Samaritan town, because of a Samaritan woman. This is insane. The Samaritans have received the Messiah lovingly, 
willingly. They have overcome these barriers. And, and I love what the, uh, what the woman says when she says, come and see. Come and see. This is a popular expression in the gospel according to John that uh, starts out with whenever John the, John the Baptist's disciples are going to try to follow Jesus, they ask him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And then Again, whenever Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael, Philip goes to Nathanael and says, come and see the Messiah. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. You see, in each of these occasions, these people are inviting their neighbors, their literal neighbors, the people closest to them, to come and experience the Messiah. Come and see Come and experience. Let your own life story get interwoven with this life story. That's what it means to be a neighbor. It means allowing other people into this life story. And it's beautiful. And it's incredible. Just those words, come and see. Now, we're doing this uh, series with also an epistle lesson that accompanies this. And don't worry, it's a short one. But our epistle lesson comes from... James, and we're looking at James chapter 2, 14 to 17. It says, what, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? I love James. He's very brutally honest like I am when he's preaching. Can faith save you? Wait, I thought, yes, I thought we were saved by faith. No! If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, Keep warm and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Whoa. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. What if you don't care about your neighbor? You don't really want to know them. We've got some neighbors on, on our street that were like, yikes, do we have to get to know them? What if all of your close friends live on the other side of town? Our best friends live in a completely different area than us. Uh, so we're like always going over to their house and we don't really care like what's going on in our neighborhood near enough. Remember these words from James' passage. Can you honestly say that you have real faith if it's not flowing from you and your home? Really? Faith without works Faith without works in the place where you spend the most amount of your life is dead. So if our lives are out of balance and we don't have time to get to know the person next door, the solution should be clear. Identify and eliminate the barriers. Start breaking down barriers. This is what Jesus does. Okay, We have to step out of our comfort zones. We have to recognize, first, that we have these barriers that keep, out, that keep us in our comfort zone. Maybe we don't want to be intrusive. Maybe we don't want to be weird. You know, if you have a, an overly eager neighbor, it's a little bit weird. Maybe you don't want to cause them to dislike you. Maybe you're like me. I'm going to have a moment of confession here. I have a very strong, like very strong social anxiety. I see a counselor for it. It is what it is. It's been there all my life. The problem is, I'm also a very strong extrovert. Go figure. I see, I saw all of you coming in today, and I'm looking around, I'm like, 
We wonder what their life story is. Ooh, can I go over and talk with them? And then internally, I'm like, they're going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to spit it like you're not going to be liked. All these, all these comments are flowing in. Oh, it's a terrible to- uh, tension that's being torn here. The same thing happens in our neighborhood when we first moved in. I was like, all these new people, let's go meet them. At the same time, they're going to hate us. They're not going to want us in their neighborhood anymore. It's going to be weird. All of this stuff. Maybe you're like me and you have that social anxiety as well and it becomes an excuse for you. Jesus and James are calling us to the exact same thing. Do something. Do something about it. Make the main thing the main thing. In other words, go to your neighbors and say, come and see. Come and experience the Messiah. Eliminate those time stealers that we use as an excuse, saying, I can't go get to know my neighbor because I've got all these things on my plate that I have to take care of. Do you really need all those things? And then be interruptible. You aren't the most important person on this planet, believe it or not. I'm not the most important person on this planet, and that's a hard lesson to learn, especially if if you've got a lot of pride, like me. I've got a lot of pride and social anxiety. Horrible combination. And so here's where I want to leave you this morning with a challenge. A very simple one, just like last week. Last week your challenge was go go ahead and fill out that block map. Go ahead and fill it out. Uh, and, you know, you've got these next couple of weeks to do that. This week's challenge, even easier. One of those people that you've started putting down on your block map, invite them to neighbor night. Go to their house. Knock on their door and say, come and see the Messiah. Come and see what this is all about. Maybe there are people who already go to church. That's fine. That's whatever. We're not like trying to convert people out here. We're not trying to convince people to go to one church or another. We just want to love on our neighbors. That's it. It's very low-key. It's very, you know, safe. But that's my challenge for each of us this week. Invite a neighbor to neighbor night. Be awesome. Be awesome. If we pack this place out with our neighbors saying, look at us and how we love on our neighbors. Look at us and see how we live out the commandment of Christ. And don't forget to register, by the way. I've got to throw that in there. There's some, like, sign-up genius link. I'm supposed to throw that in there. So register for it. Show up with a neighbor. Tell them, come and see. Start breaking down those barriers the same way that Jesus does. Let us do so in a way that reminds the world that our Lord is active and working in our community. Amen.